So Mark chapter 1, starting from verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Father in heaven, thank you again for today, and thank you again for this word. Thank you for the gospel of Mark, the gospel that points to your son Jesus so clearly. We pray for your spirit's help to open our eyes and open our hearts to see Jesus afresh, to see him in ways that are joyfully unexpected. We pray this for our hearts that our hearts will grow in love and affection for your son. 
We pray this for our minds, that our minds, as we walk through this relatively familiar gospel, will not be dulled because we are so familiar to it. We pray that you'd bless us, uh, that we would know you clearer, that we would love you more, and so live our lives for you each day joyfully. And we pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Fred Flintstone, Homer Simpson, and Daddy Pig. Three relatively famous cartoon dads, all three of which have one thing in common. They are utterly incompetent. Right? If you, everything they do ends up in a disaster. My kids love watching Peppa Pig while they have lunch. It is a bad habit to let your kids watch TV whilst eating lunch. That's something we've got to deal with. Anyway, and when you look at Daddy Pig, everything he does is a disaster. You think of what a man should be really good at. The barbecue and mowing the lawn. And he manages to mess that up. Now, if you're watching these cartoons or if you grew up on these cartoons and you grew up on this message that dads are incompetent, you just kind of you kind of have to look on TV and work really hard to find a good father figure. So it's been refreshing over the past few months to discover a new show on the ABC called Bluey with the kids and to see the dad named Bandit to be totally different. Not only is he competent as a father, but he's also really very fun. And the show highlights how he plays with his kids and the fun that they get up to. And the show itself is actually set here in Brisbane, which is really cool. Now, for those who are used to dumb dads on TV, Bandit is a refreshing change. Uh, the way that he parents and does things is joyfully unexpected. Now, as we open up the Gospel of Mark this week, we're going to be introduced to a picture of Jesus that is just joyfully unexpected. Maybe as we've been reading through this, maybe you're familiar with this gospel, and maybe you're thinking, yep, okay, I know these stories, I know what goes on. But today, I'd like to put it to you that if we read it afresh, we're going to see things that will make us surprised, that will bring us great joy. This picture of Jesus uh, will do, the th things that he does, they're not only very different, but even for us who are familiar with Jesus, we might see Jesus do things that are joyfully unexpected. And we'll see how this picture of Jesus serves his primary mission as well, which is to teach about what his kingdom is like. So we're going to start with point one on the outline, and we begin in Capernaum. And if you have the Gospel of Mark, please leave it open in front of you, and we'll be referring to it. We're going to start in verse 21. Uh, on this day of rest and worship, it was common to find Jesus in the synagogue uh, preaching and teaching. And so that's what we see happening in verse 21. Uh, what is he teaching? We're not exactly told. Uh, it's unlikely, however, to be something like seven steps to a better you. Uh, more likely, his teaching has to do with what we've just heard in the Bible reading in verses 14 and 15. Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Mark about how the time has, is uh, being fulfilled, the kingdom of God being close at hand, and the need to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus. That's probably what he was teaching. And notice that Jesus' teaching isn't like anyone else. Everyone is noticing that Jesus' words are very different. So different in verse 22 that we read, they were astonished at his teaching. Why? 
Again in verse 22, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, authority here carries this idea of weight, of power. So imagine you're walking along the streets with some friends and some random person comes up to you on the street and says, stop right there, show me your ID. How do you respond? Who are you? Right? But now imagine the same scenario. You're walking along the street with some friends and a police officer pulls you over and says, stop right there, show me your ID. What do you do? You search your pockets very quickly to find your wallet and pull out your ID because you know that those same words carry different weight and authority from the different person, from the police officer. Jesus' teaching here comes with authority. Again, in verse 22, we read that his teaching is not as the scribes, not as one of the teachers of the law. How was it different to the scribes? From what we can gather, the scribes were very fond of quoting other people uh, in, their, in their sermons, their versions of sermons. And so they would often stand up the front and go uh, to make their point, Rabbi so-and-so teaches us this or that. Jesus would do something different. He would get up there and he would say, I say to you. The teaching of Jesus captures their attention. Now, into this scene comes an unexpected guest. A man appears with what we're told is an unclean spirit. We find out that, in fact, he's got a whole bunch of demons possessing him. Now, look at how their words acknowledge that Jesus has authority even over them. Have a look at verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. They know that Jesus can and will destroy them. They know that Jesus is their judge. They know that Jesus is the Holy One of God, God's eternal Son. But before they can disrupt Jesus any longer, they've interrupted Jesus in his teaching. Before they can continue to disrupt him any longer, Jesus shuts them up. He commands them to come out. And violently they come out of him. This is the first miracle recorded here in the Gospel of Mark. But notice how the crowd responds and what they have to say. Verse 27, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. They are amazed. It makes sense. But look at what they are amazed about. Their amazement centers on the teaching and words of Jesus. The miracle and his teaching go hand in hand. And we'll see a little bit more of that in a moment. But the point here is that the exorcism is a visual example of what Jesus' teaching is uh, is about his kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, there is no room for evil. Now, as you would expect from such an incident, the fame of Jesus spreads quickly. The gossip channels are working in overdrive in Capernaum. Uh, Remember, it's the Sabbath day, so you can't just go walk around in uh, long distances, but that doesn't mean you can't share the news with what's going on with your neighbor. And just before things get really wild, Jesus heads off to the homes of Simon and Andrew, two brothers who are called to follow Jesus earlier in chapter one. Simon and Andrew's mother is knocked down with a fever, Right? Without modern medicine, bedridden, and with a raging fever, this is pretty serious. So Jesus goes in, he takes her by the hand, and then boom, fever is gone. This little healing sets up the healings that are to come. The sun sets, 
the Sabbath is over, so it's okay now to travel and to carry things, including your sick friends. And in small towns, everyone knows everyone. And so the news of Jesus' exorcism and now the miraculous healing of Simon and Andrew's mother has everyone carting their sick and the demon-possessed to come and to be healed by Jesus. We're told in verse 33 that the whole city has come and is gathered at the door. You imagine what that would look like here in Brisbane, the PA hospital, the Royal Brisbane Hospital, the Wesley Hospital just down the road, all of their wards emptying, all of the patients streaming out the front door, family members dragging out patients, doctors getting furious at people leaving their care, some doctors following their patients. You can imagine it being live streamed on Facebook. This scene here is incredible. Capernaum, everything that's going on, Jesus healing people left, right, and center. Again, we read at the end of verse 34 that Jesus wouldn't allow the demons to speak, just like he did with the first demon-possessed man. The first demon-possessed man was interrupting Jesus' teaching, and so he was silenced. And here, these demons, again, they are silenced, I think probably for the same reason. We can imagine that during the marathon healing session, Jesus was also spending his time teaching the disciples, teaching people who would come to listen. And again, what might he be teaching about his kingdom? Before we learn that in his kingdom, there is no room for evil. Here we are seeing that in his kingdom, there is no room for sickness. Now, before we move on to verse 35, I want to pause for a moment, just kind of go on a slight tangent. Uh, and have a quick look at what's going on with all this demon possession stuff. Right, what's going on in this passage? Is this demon possession stuff for real? A lot of people have often said that maybe what was actually going on is we could see a number of people with mental health issues, maybe schizophrenia. Right? It was Jesus kind of helping them. Uh, and if this demon possession stuff is real, why don't we see Christians casting out demons more often? Why don't we see Christians healing people more often? Let me say two quick things. First, when it comes to the healings, I think this is a, a particularly unique foretaste of Jesus' kingdom. Jesus had come, he had brought his kingdom near, and we're seeing the result of this. It's as Isaiah predicted when speaking to God's suffering people and promising them a hopeful future, he said that there will be this time to come. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah is saying, when you see these things happening, hope has come. And that's what we're seeing here in Jesus' ministry. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus makes that connection even more strong. Jesus quotes Isaiah and says that everything you see me doing is in fulfillment of that. So the healings that Jesus is doing here is particularly unique to the Gospels at this time. So we shouldn't expect to be doing the same thing based on what Jesus is doing here in the Gospels. Secondly, all of this demonic activity, it's really full on, but have you ever noticed, if you've read through the Old Testament, that demonic activity and Satan don't get very much of a mention. Satan appears in the Garden of Eden and he, he pops up every now and then. But in comparison to the number of references to demon possession and stuff like that in the Old Testament, the New Testament has just heaps more. 
Have you ever noticed that? It appears that demonic activity and possession was at a height here in the Gospels because Jesus was here and his kingdom was being ushered in. Now, I'm not saying that demon possession can't happen now, but the Gospels are so full of these events because Jesus is present. The point of both, though, in terms of the healings and the casting out of demons, it's to say that Jesus is here. His kingdom has no room for evil and no room for sickness. Let's come back to the passage. The whole town has emptied and is knocking at the door of Simon and Andrew where Jesus is staying. And so when things seem to be going so well, why does Jesus decide now is a good time to leave? We we open up verse 35, Jesus heads off early in the morning to pray. The disciples come looking for him. Another big crowd has gathered, gathered. Everyone's looking for you, Jesus. And with things going so well, you would think with the responsibility to heal all those. If I had the ability to heal people, you think I would have the responsibility to heal all these people? Why does Jesus decide now is a good time to leave? Have a look at verse 38. Jesus says, let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Now, I've got to be really careful here, because I think there's a common misreading of this verse that says that Jesus was focused on teaching, not healing. That he wants to be known as a teacher, not a healer. But he's not saying that. In fact, look at what he does next in the very next verse, verse 39. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, if Jesus is just about the teaching and not healing, then what is he doing casting out demons again? See, when you go back to verse 38, Jesus doesn't say, I'm focused just on teaching. All he says is that he wants to move on so that he can teach elsewhere, so that he can take his message of the kingdom beyond Capernaum. And then when he heads off, he continues this ministry of teaching and healing. We need to be careful not to divorce the healing ministry of Jesus from his preaching ministry. In fact, they go together. And we're going to see this very clearly again next week in chapter 2. But what verses 35 to 39 highlight is that Jesus is focused on getting his teaching out there. And he authenticates that message with miracles. The miracles show the greatness of his teaching, the greatness of his authority, and the fact that Jesus needs to be listened to. So what have we seen so far? Jesus arrives on the scene. He comes to preach and teach about his kingdom. As a part of of that preaching and teaching, we're seeing some fantastic miracles. Demons being cast out and sick people being healed. Mark is treating us to a show. A show of what the future eternal kingdom is going to be like. These opening verses are a little bit like the renovation that took place at my home about four years ago. Uh, We extended an area of our house to turn it into an office slash meeting area. And for some of you guys who often hang out there, you guys just end up sleeping on the floor all the time. That's what happens at my house, right? It was designed for that. Now, this is what it looked like before all the walls and the the bookshelves were painted. You kind of get a glimpse of what we were going for, but you can also see that it's still an utter mess. Now, to work out what colors we wanted to paint on the walls... We didn't just buy a, you know, you can go to a a hardware store and get the sample cards of the paint, 
but they don't tell you much and you're under fluorescent light so it's actually quite hard to know exactly what that color will look like but you don't want to go buy a big bucket of it because you can't just buy one big bucket you need to buy like five to do all the walls and that's expensive so what you do is you buy a little pot of sample paint it's about the size of a mug and it's about six bucks and you can paint a little square on the wall so that you can paint it there and then you can see what the color looks like in the morning and at midday and in the afternoon because the color of light uh, yeah the color of light changes at various parts of the day my brother-in-law in in sydney he painted uh, his bedrooms this beautiful gray like kind of frenchy gray color but he had he didn't realize that in the late afternoons when the sun is like really orangey it turns all his bedrooms purple <laughs> like bright purple it, it, he really regretted that and so what we did was we bought these sample paints we painted the wall and we could see what the future color of that wall would look like jesus when jesus came healing and teaching and casting out demons it was a bit like the little painting bits on the wall telling us showing us what the final picture would look like now in verses 39 to 40 uh, 35 to 39 we see jesus wants to take his message out and he desires for this good news to be heard widely all right question how many of you guys have seen the movie the sixth sense put your hand up all right there's not many of you i apologize it is a 20 year old movie it's really good but i'm going to spoil it for the rest of you uh I've got, I've got very good reasons why I need to spoil it as well. Now, the movie follows the disturbing life of Cole, that little boy. Uh, the premise of the movie is that he can see dead people. He sees ghosts who don't know that they're dead yet. Uh, and then you have Malcolm, the child psychologist there, who's trying to help Cole through his issues and, and work out what to do with all these visions that he's seeing. Now, the twist ending is this. Malcolm is actually dead himself. He himself is a ghost and he doesn't know it sorry i just completely ruined that for you <laughs> right because it's it is it has been consistently voted as one of the best twist endings of all, i've really ruined it for you <laughs> yeah now the, sorry the reason why i've ruined it is this right when you get to the end the first time you watch it you go boom that was huge he was dead you walk out of the cinemas you go i cannot believe that you watch it a second time and everything in the second time around changes because now you know the ending and there are certain scenes between Malcolm and his wife that are now completely different you see it in a completely different light knowing that he's already dead the ending gives new light to these new these earlier scenes now when we come to this final healing here uh, the healing of this leper in verses 40 to 45 we need to read this story in the light of the ending that we already know what's the ending of the gospels we know that jesus is going to the cross and that he will die on the cross in substitution for us remember his healing ministry isn't divorced from his teaching ministry and so this little healing isn't just random it's teaching us something about jesus kingdom first we meet a leper now leprosy can refer here to any sort of skin condition it's not necessarily the same thing that we understand as leprosy today or what is known as hansen's disease the first detail we need to notice though is the request that he makes the 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 the, the passionate request that he makes notice in verse 40 that he doesn't just ask jesus to heal him 
Look at what he asked Jesus to do. End of verse 40. If you will, you can make me clean. Make me clean. Now, what's going on there? Now, in order to understand this request, you've got to have uh, Leviticus 13 in the background. Leviticus, one of the early books of the Bible, deals with all sorts of different laws and purity laws. Now, in Leviticus 13, Moses is telling the Israelites what they can do and how they can identify certain skin conditions like leprosy, right? And heaps, there's like 45 verses of what you do, of what you need to do, and what you need to look for in identifying these skin conditions. And if you've identified it, and it is leprosy, and it's confirmed, then that person is unclean. And here's the kicker in verse 46. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. This is what a leprous person, this is what the leprous person here has to deal with. He is declared unclean. That means nobody can touch him. If you touched an unclean person, you yourself would become unclean, even though you didn't have a skin condition. He had to live alone. He was severed from all his relationships. He had to dwell outside the camp. He was isolated from everyone else and isolated from God. You dare not walk into the temple if you were unclean. You will be struck down. What is the leper asking for? He's not just asking for healing. He wants to be touched again. He wants to feel the hug of a family member. He wants to be restored again into relationship, back into his community, back into communion with God. And so what does Jesus do? He reaches out his hand and he touches him. And instead of the leper's uncleanliness contaminating Jesus... The holiness and purity of Jesus makes him holy and pure. It cleanses him. Verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him. Mark's favorite word in his gospel is the word immediately. He says, constantly moving forward quickly in this gospel. This man is immediately healed. His disease is lifted. Instead of Jesus being made unclean by touching him, the holiness of Jesus makes the leper holy again. But then notice what Jesus tells him to do in verse 43. Verse 43, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. He says three things. Be silent. The first thing he says is be silent. This is the third time in this section he's told someone to shut up. Now remember in previous times, the previous times he's told people to be silent is because he was in the middle of teaching. And here he tells this uh, healed man to be silent. Don't tell anyone what's happened because you need to go to the priest to tell them what happened. 
That's the number two thing he tells uh, this man to do. Go to the priest, fulfill the law. And then number three, he, tells the, he says, tell the priests as a proof to them, as a testimony against them. The word proof carries the idea of arguing against. You go show yourself to them and prove them wrong about me. It's another teaching moment. It's time, it's this time for the priests who seems already, it seems already, are skeptical about Jesus. So, of course, the man goes off, and as soon as he can, he tells everyone what happened. <laughs> but then notice what happens to Jesus. Verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus ends up in the desolate place. He ends up in the wilderness. He ends up outside the camp. Jesus isn't made unclean by the leper. He's not unclean. But he suffers the penalty for being made unclean. He is isolated from going into the town. Remember, let's apply the sixth sense way of reading this. What's happening here? By faith, a man trusted Jesus to make him clean. Jesus makes him clean. His purity and his holiness is transferred onto that man. And even though Jesus isn't made unclean, he suffers the penalty anyway. Friends, that's the gospel. Jesus comes to substitute himself in our place. He comes to give his life as a ransom for many. He comes to make us clean before God and suffer the shame and penalty of those who are unclean before him. Now step back and see what Mark is doing. Let's put this all together. One of the wonderful things that I've seen and I've personally seen as I've been reading through Mark again this time around is how wonderfully connected everything is, how purposefully everything is in its place. Mark is showing us Jesus to be a teacher of immense authority. The healing and casting out of demons proves that authority and affirms his teaching. Jesus is focused then on preaching about his kingdom to as many people as he can. Now, if Jesus' healings are not divorced from his teaching... Then what is the final healing for today teaching us about Jesus' kingdom? It's teaching us that Jesus' kingdom is about restoring people back into relationship with God at his own expense. Mark is showing us what Jesus will ultimately do. Here in this little story, we have a prelude of the big final story. He will wash us clean forever but it will cost him. He will be substituted in our place and take the punishment we deserve. When you look at the story like that, the most obvious response is to follow Jesus. It's to look at this king who has immense authority and to follow him. He's a teacher unlike any other. He has the power to heal the sick. At his commands, demons flee. He is full of compassion and mercy. 
and he comes to give his life in our place. We didn't touch on this first because there's a, a neat little structural thing going on in Mark that I'll touch on next week. But if you go back to verses 16 to 20, you get introduced to some disciples of Jesus and how they answered his call to follow me. Now, next week we'll talk a little bit more. There's another incident of uh, people being called to follow Jesus. And we'll talk a bit more there about the cost of following Jesus. But for now, in this passage in Mark, he's making it pretty clear. When Jesus says, follow me, he is worth following. He's calling each and every one of us today to do the same thing. Follow me. So are you convinced that Jesus is worth following? I hope you are. I hope you are, even from today. But if you're not, that's okay. We've only done chapter 1 of 16. So we've got 15 more chapters to go. 15 more chapters where Mark is going to do his best to convince us that Jesus is worth following. And so if you're not sure if you follow him or if you know that you're not following him, that's okay. Uh, We're going to dive into chapter 2 next week. But there's nothing stopping you now from reading more. There's nothing stopping you now from reading the whole Gospel of Mark and working out whether or not Jesus is worth following. You've got nothing to lose by doing that. You will not lose anything. You will read, if, even if you decide not to follow Jesus, you'll find a bit more about him. You'll actually be able to say, you know what, I've read a gospel, I've made up my mind. You've got nothing to lose. But you've got everything to gain. And if you do believe in Jesus... And if you do follow him, have you been unexpectedly and joyfully surprised at how good Jesus is? How many of you here have been going through a rut lately in your Bible reading? You open up the Word, you read it, but it just doesn't come alive. Maybe you've been reading the Gospel of Mark ahead of time, which is a great thing to do, and Jesus is just, yeah, he's he's great. Maybe you're more of a head person than a heart person. It's time to pray that God would restore to you fresh eyes to see Jesus in the new light. To not let our familiarity with the gospel blind us to how brilliant Jesus is. To ask God to help you see Jesus in joyfully unexpected ways. Let me pray and ask God to help us to that end. Father in heaven, your son is epically wonderful. He is truly magnificent. Please give us eyes and hearts that will see that clearly. Give us eyes and hearts and lives that will trust him every single day. We ask this for his glory, for the growth of his kingdom, and for our joy everlasting. Amen.